glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, please. We read Exodus chapter 19, beginning verse 1, go down through verse 9. The Bible says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey... My voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the children, uh, called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Moses, lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. In the Old Testament, if you read throughout the books of the law, the, the covenant that God made is if I'm going to give you good law, if you obey my law, I will bless you. If you break my law, I will curse you. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If you obey, I'll bless you. Insomuch when they entered the land of Canaan, there was part of the nation that stood on this mountain and proclaimed the blessing for obedience. And there was a part that stood on this nation and proclaimed the cursing for disobedience. Now you tell me, what happened to the nation of Israel. First, it divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and you know what divided it. Sin divided it. Then, both of those two nations, the northern and the southern, were taken into captivity. Help me this morning. Did Israel experience the blessing of the law or the curse of the law? The curse. They were scattered into all the nations of the world, as God said they would be, if they disobeyed. Now, God gave the nation of Israel, first of all, he raised them up, as he says in this text, bore them on eagles' wings as he brings them out of Egypt. He's giving them undergirding to get them on their feet. God gave to the nation everything they needed to succeed if they could make good on it. So what you find here, we'll begin this morning in the message, God makes a promise to his people. He makes a promise to his people, but it is a conditional promise. And this is the difference between the Old Covenant And the new covenant, the old covenant says, obey and you'll be blessed, disobey and you'll be cursed. At the consummation, the end of the old covenant, it is clear, not only have the Jews disobeyed, we are Gentiles and never even had the good law. We are certainly disobedient. We're Gentile dogs, if you would, as Jesus said. So if the Jews could not keep the law, who do we think we are? So what the gospel says is, because you've broken God's law, you're cursed. But believe on Christ who became a curse for you and your faith will be counted to you for righteousness. Then God says, I have blessed you, obey. The Old Testament says, obey and you'll be blessed. In Christ Jesus, God says, I have blessed you, 
now obey. He has blessed the world. By the way, has God been gracious to every human being? He has. In giving Jesus Christ to taste death for how many men? Every man. The Bible's, I love the way God the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible. He says, whosoever, he says all, and he says every. He knows how man thinks, and he knows how, how we will misconstrue his word. Well, all was just speaking collectively. That doesn't mean every. No, it does, because Hebrews says he tasted death for every man. God has blessed every human being by giving Christ to die for every man. Now, we should obey the gospel by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. God hath now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Meaning, I sent my son to pay for your sins. He became a curse for us. Now repent. I just want to say that at the onset so that you're not confused as to what I'm preaching to you this morning. I'm not preaching keep the law and you'll be saved. But the Old Testament given to prove that man could not save himself. The law was given to prove that we're sinful, to show that we're condemned so that we might be brought to Christ. And we'll see that, I, I trust, this morning. So we begin in verses 4 through 6 of this chapter. God gave a promise to his people. We've been following them out of Egypt. God gave, brought them out through the Passover night, through the blood on the lintels of the door and the doorposts and all of that that took place. They came through the Red Sea. They no sooner come through the Red Sea and they, they grumble because there's no water and then there is water and it's bitter and... God says, cut a tree, and the bitter waters are made sweet. And then they grumble because they're out of water again. And God says, smite the rock, and there will be water. And then they grumble because there's no bread. And God says, I'll rain bread from heaven. And God is sustaining them in spite of them. Have we not seen how gracious and merciful and patient God has been with the people that he has provided for, provided for, provided for, and their response was ingratitude, complaining, and God continued to provide for them. Now he brings them, Exodus 19, if you look to chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law has showed up and says, this is too great for you to bear, which shows us that Moses is only a type of the Savior, not the Savior. The burden of all the people is too great for him to bear. Jethro gave him some good counsel. Then into chapter 19, God is going to set the stage for the giving of the law. The, the, the law has not been written. There's moral law in place, undoubtedly already. God put that law into our hearts. Moral law is in place, but God's going to have law written down. He's going to write it so they can see it, and Moses is going to be the hand by which God will give that law. But he's connecting, he's beginning with a promise. And he says to the people in verse 4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. God, when he's going to make a promise, he's going to begin with his own faithfulness. He's going to say, you've seen that I've kept my word. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've brought you through adversity. I've borne you up uh, and taken you over top of your adversities like uh, on eagle's wings. He said, you've seen what I've done. I've brought you unto myself. He, so he says, I've done what I said I would do. I've been faithful. You cried in Egypt. I brought you out. So the promise is constituted on the faithfulness of God. How many of us know God has not changed throughout all the history of time? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Lord told the nation of Israel, I, the Lord, change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. If I were like you, you would be consumed. But I change not. And so God's promises are built and based upon his ability to keep his word. And what he's going to show the people is, you can trust me. You've seen what I've done for you. Then he's going to make the promise. And it's a conditioned promise. It says this, verse 5, Now therefore, and I've circled in my Bible, if you mark your Bible, you might want to do that. Now therefore, if, and I've circled that word, if, ye will obey my voice indeed, 
and keep my covenant, then I've circled the next word, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. That's a pretty simple promise, isn't it? If you'll obey, you'll be peculiar to me, you'll be a kingdom of priests unto me, you'll serve me, you'll be a sanctified people. It's a condition that is based upon the performance of the people. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not teaching that under the law you are saved by works. The law does the same thing it always does. It proves man cannot save himself. But God gave the condition. If, it's just like what Jesus told the rich young ruler. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what Jesus tell him? Keep the commandments. You know what the young ruler should have said? Oh, no. But he said, well, I'm in good shape then. I've always kept them from my youth. I've been a good guy as long as I can remember. And because that didn't resonate, then Jesus said, okay, then I'll give you another commandment. Go sell all that you have, give what you have to the poor, and come follow me, and you have treasure in heaven. And you know what he didn't do? By the way, did Jesus suggest that or command that? And the ruler didn't obey him. You know why? He had another God. He was standing there breaking the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Standing there breaking it. You know what Jesus was trying to show that young ruler? He was not giving that instruction to the ruler to teach us that the way to heaven is by selling what you have and giving to the poor. That is not the instruction of that text. The instruction of that text is, you think you're righteous through your deeds. Let me prove to you you're a lawbreaker and you need a Savior. If you have not yet gotten lost, you can't get saved. You say, what do you mean by that? If you have not yet seen that you are condemned, that's the entirety of this message. If you have not come to the conclusion, I am condemned because of my own sinfulness, then pray tell. I pray today this message can show us a picture of ourselves. The message this morning is what Paul explains in Romans chapter 7. How many of you think that the Apostle Paul was a pretty good fella? If you know your Bible, he forsook everything to follow Christ. He did what the rich young ruler would not. But you know what Paul called himself? A wretched man. Oh, wretched man that not... How many knows this? Paul said, oh, wretched man that I was. He's talking about his natural flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because he said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to, how to, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find out. So the promise to the people this morning was, if you'll obey, I will make you a peculiar people. I'll make you a kingdom of priests. You'll be special to me. He's promised them that they'll be sanctified. They'll be servants. They'll be special unto him. You should be unto me a kingdom of priests and then a holy nation. Me, you'll be like no other nation on the earth. But the condition is you have to obey me. Now, we might be like the rich young ruler and say, okay, keep the commandments. Which? How many understand obedience is all or none? It's not a, well, I choose that, obey that one and not that one. It comes to God, it's all or none. So the promise to the people was, if you'll obey me, you'll obey my commandments. And he's about to give them the law. Before he gives them the law, he said, I want you to understand the blessing there is my law is good. And if you'll obey it, I will make you a peculiar people unto me. I'll lift you up above the nations of the earth. You'll serve me as a kingdom of priests. Uh, so that was the condition that was given. Condition on the performance of the people. Throughout the Bible, the, the, what we read in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, is repeated over and over. If a person is going to be righteous by what they do, 
How much do you have to do? How much obedience to God's law must there be? 100%. James says it this way. If I break the law, if I'm guilty of breaking it in one point, I'm guilty of all. I've, then I'm a lawbreaker. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. Said, verse 4, You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do. Meaning, if you're going to do it, if you're going to live by, by obedience to law, if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Meaning, if you do what I say, you'll live. Then the contrast to that is, if we don't do it, he says, we will die. The wages of sin is death. And so then, the Bible is expressly clear. If you want to live by performance, you have to do everything God says. There are those today that feel that they're made righteous by the day of the week they wor- they worship God on. May I say this? If that's for you, Sabbath keeping, then you have to keep all the Sabbaths. There's not just the once a week Sabbath, but the high Sabbaths and the yearly Sabbaths and the uh, the seasonal Sabbaths that go along with the feasts. And if you're gonna if you're gonna be righteous by obedience to the law, you have to keep it all. Amen. And if we've broken it. If obedience brings life, then disobedience brings, that's what God says. So, But there was a promise. I got a little ahead of myself. Now, the promise to the people was, obey and I'll bless you. Listen to the profession of the people. We read it already, but let's read it again. And we'll read it in all three places in Scripture, Exodus 19, 7 and 8. They don't come to God and say, God, we're not sure what you're going to command us, but we know us enough to know we won't obey you. Come on, help me this morning. Wouldn't that have been the honest answer? Lord, you know us. You brought us out of Egypt and told us that you would you would deliver us and we didn't trust you. And then you told us to trust you at the Red Sea and we accused Moses all the way, really accusing you of lying to us, bringing us into the desert to kill us. God, you know us. We can't obey you. We're awful people. Wouldn't that have been honest? But people don't have a propensity to be honest. We have a propensity to paint ourselves as bright as we can. Truth? You know what false religion is? False religion is man's effort to cover up before other men what he really is. That's false religion. That's why it is as as filthy rags to God. If I had a running sore on my hand this morning, you know what I would do? I would, you'd see me in marine gloves today, Fred. I'd have my bright white marine gloves, right? And I'd have a spare one in my pocket so when that sore oozed through, I could change it out real quick. Now, how would you like this? I've got a running sore in my hand, let's say a boil that won't heal, and I'm wearing my bright white gloves every Sunday. You're like, what is his problem? Say, ah, you know, when you wear white gloves like mine, it shows you're a true child of God. Actually, what it shows is you've got something you want to cover up. And then what happens is I save my soiled gloves and I give them to you as a Christmas present. That's what it is like offering to God. God, I obeyed you once over here last week. Twice the week before. Look at what I've done. You know what false religion? It's man's effort through through what tradition, through his own ideologies to make himself appear righteous when he's really sinful. And so instead of the people being honest with God and God saying, if you will obey me, I will bless you. Instead of them saying, Lord... I don't know what all the commandments are you're about to give us, but we haven't obeyed you yet. Why would we start now? If God had said, I'm going to make you a promise based on my performance. So shouldn't their profession in return been based upon their performance? 
If God's going to make a promise based on His character, shouldn't our promise in return be based on ours? God had said, you've seen what I've done for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I've borne you on eagle's wings. I've brought you unto myself. Tell me that I've mistreated you. I challenge anyone here today, tell me with a straight face that God has given you what you deserve. That God has mistreated you this morning. Any person that says God has mistreated them has been deeply, deeply deceived. If I'm not burning in the flames of hell this morning, God has not mistreated me. These people weren't dead yet. They were living and healthy and well. And on their way to Canaan land, God had been nothing but merciful and gracious to them. And yet their profession to God, God makes a promise based on His faithfulness. They make a profession based on their own deceitfulness. They say to God, Exodus 19 verse 7, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together, so it's unanimous, and said, All, all that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. It's interesting to me. God is not really concerned about getting Moses to believe the people, but he wants the people to believe Moses. (laughs) You, you, You with that? The longer we live, the less confidence we should have in human flesh. Human flesh is utterly sinful, and without the regenerating work of the Lord Jesus Christ is utterly wicked. And so then, but their profession, it's very specific. How much obedience do they promise to the Lord? 100%. We'll give you 100% obedience. Now go to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 3. And Moses came. So what happens between Exodus 19 and verse 24 is God gives the law. He gives the Ten Commandments, as you well know. You can read those in Exodus chapter 20. We'll review those here in a few minutes. And then he gives some interpretation of that law. So he gives Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, which are hanging on those two commandments. And then he gives some interpretation or statutes and judgments, some examples. Once you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you get more interpretation. So here's what the law says. Here's what it means. Okay, so he's the lawgiver and the interpreter of that. And it gives some very specific statutes and judgments about how to treat your neighbor and how to handle his ox and how to build your house and all those kind of things in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, all hinged on those Ten Commandments, which are hinged on two. So between Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, what has happened is God has given Moses law, statutes, and judgments. So before, God says, if you'll keep what I'm about to give you, then I'll bless you. Now they have a little better idea of whether or not they can keep it. Exodus 24, they've heard some of these commandments, right? And the Bible says in uh, verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, And all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said will we do. Look at verse 7. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do. You know what? And be, they add to it, and be obedient. The idea is we're not just going to do it in form. We're going to do it because we we are going to obey. We submit to God's authority. How many of you, after hearing the Ten Commandments, would say, I'm going to do every bit of it? By the way, Ten Commandments are not ten steps to heaven. They're ten steps to your condemnation. The law was not given to make you righteous. The law was given to prove you're not. 
The law is right. It's good. We're not to covet. We're not to have any other gods before Him. We're to honor our father and our mother. We're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. We're not to set up idols. We're not to worship things that God has made as though He's God. Uh, Remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Today, the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely the fulfillment of that blessed day. We rest in Him. And there are those still trying to keep the law and in so doing, breaking it because they're not resting in Christ. The law stands. It's a good law, but you have to use it lawfully for its intended purpose, but known as the profession of the people, they are specific in their profession, all that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient, and they are steadfast, even after being given very specific commandments that should have signaled to them, you're never going to touch that blessing. It'd kind of be like this. If you said to me this morning, Pastor, there's a beautiful piece of property that you and your family might be interested in and you explain where it's at and it's 132 acres and it's got a beautiful farmhouse and a brand new barn. Immediately I'm like, ooh, I want the blessing. What's my first question though? What's the price tag? I say, is it more than $125? Yeah, you might buy the paint on one of the doors for 125 bucks. And I say, I'll take it. Wouldn't that be crazy? You say, no, the price tag is like, it's $3.2 million. I say, I'll, I'll take it. Every, I'll, every penny. How many of you know me well enough that you would know at that point I'm lying? Yeah, you have to know me very well. No, no he's lying. You know, I have $3.2 million. That's what they're doing here. God says, he gives them the Ten Commandments. They say, we'll do it every bit. We will. You know what? Purpose to obey God is not equivalent with having obeyed God. Their promise or their profession is we very specific and steadfast, even after being given the law. All that you say unto us, we will do. The precepts of the people, and I won't take time to elaborate this, but let's, let's look very quickly at Exodus chapter 20. Let's just go ahead and read the Ten Commandments to show what God said to them between their, their two professions. We will do it. And then he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. You still going to stay? We'll do it? Yes, all of it. We'll do it and obey. Acts 20 verse 1, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, nor thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything... That is thy neighbor's. Now, after hearing all of this, what did the people say? We'll do it. And ask some. If you say you'll do something, then what are we supposed to do? 
Keep our word. Psalm 15 says, even if we swear to own hurt and change not, that's the blessing of the Lord. The profession of the people is we'll do. Those things you told us, we will do all of it. The precepts were simple. I think the things we just read are simple. They were specific. And the things that were said, that they were sanctified. Meaning, beware of people that want to berate the law of God today. Listen, friend, the law of God, the Old Testament law, and I understand it was given to that nation for a specific time, but it's still good. The law he gave them, had they lived by it, they would have been blessed. The problem was they couldn't. They were dead in sins. But the law is good. It's still good. The God that gave it, his heart is breathed out. This is why you and I today, listen, if you're saved, you and I are not saved that we might violate the law, but through the power and life of Jesus Christ, we honor the spirit of the law, which is far better than the letter. Amen? You understand, grace does more. Grace is empowering. Law is condemning. And this morning, though, the precepts that were given, they were simple, they were specific, they were sanctified. Psalm 119, 142. Let me read that very quickly. Psalm 119. And I believe this is encompassing of the written law, but also the moral law. When it says the law of the Lord, Psalm 119, 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. I'm trying to establish this to help us understand The nation of Israel would not lose the blessing because the law had problems. How do you know that our laws have problems? U.S. laws have problems. Local laws have problems. That's why we continually have to work on those because flawed and sinful men are making laws and many times that's tainted by prejudice or tainted by uh, selfish motivation or whatever it may be. And so we are not in and of ourselves capable of true justice. That's why we need a Savior to come and rule and reign. Amen? The fact of the matter is this, though. The precepts they were given were simple, specific, and they were sanctified precepts. Psalm 19, I believe it's verse 7, says, The law of the Lord is perfect. But you know what the law of the Lord is intended to do? Converting the soul. The law is intended to help you see you're headed headlong for the lake of fire, and unless somebody saves you, that's where you're going to land. That's the intent of God's law. The promise to the people... The profession of the people, the precepts given to the people. So between Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, where they profess, will obey, will obey, is the giving of the law. Then after Exodus 24, we get into Exodus chapter 25 through verses 31. We'll speak about that in a few minutes, but turn, if you would, with me to Exodus 32. I want us to see now, not only the promise of the people, the profession they made, the precepts they were given, but the problem they had. So in Exodus 25, so starting Exodus 25, Moses goes back up onto the mountain. If you're familiar with your Bible, most of you here this morning are. You know that while he was on the mountain, he was up there for 40 days. And while he was there 40 days, God was communing with him and giving him the specifications for the tabernacle. He's elaborating more law and giving him the law surrounding worship in the tabernacle. We'll come back to that in a minute. But while Moses is on the mountain... The people forgot what they told God. How many of us know they knew when they said all that the Lord says we will do? They knew, he said, not to have any other gods before him, not to take his name in vain, not to make any graven images, not to bear false witness. And what had they said? We will obey. But let's look at Exodus 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. 
For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and your sons and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. There's a confusion here. He said it all threw it in the fire and out came a calf. You know, once you start sinning and disobeying God, there's no end on that thing. You can keep reading. You know the story. Aaron crafts a calf. They say, the Bible says in verse 5, and when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Now, all this while God's laying out the, the exact template of what the altar is supposed to be, Aaron's making one of his own imagination. And Aaron made, by the way, who's going to be their high priest? The guy that's leading them in false worship. Oh, my. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the... You know, he just did, he took God's name in vain. That feast wasn't to the Lord. That feast was to their own lusts. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to worship or play. Do you realize while Moses is getting the, the commandments they had already heard and Moses laid before them, he's getting them written with the finger of God in stone. While Moses is getting them in his hands, they are down there breaking them all. But wait a minute, they said they would do right. They said all that the Lord says we will do. Now, how many of you think when they said that, they thought, no, the moment Moses turns his back, we're going to make us a golden calf. Or perhaps do you think they sincerely thought they would do it? How many of times have you said, God, I know what you want, and I'll never disobey you again to find that within 24 hours you did? Now, that tells you how dependable you and I are. The Bible says we who trust in Christ have how much confidence in the flesh? None. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your flesh. Help me this. What fuels confidence in one's own self to perform what is right? There it is. I can do it. I know me. I doubt it. How many of you have only got into God's word to realize, ooh, I didn't know me as well as I thought I knew me. You know, the Bible is a mirror, and it will not lie. This book will not give an image of you that is not true, nor an image of God that's not true. And here's what I want us to see. The problem of the people is they quickly corrupted. Look with me, if you would, at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Moses is rehearsing their history to them some years later in Deuteronomy 5. And he's reminding them of how they told God they would obey. And then he's going to share with them what God's response was when they said that. Uh, Deuteronomy 5.22. He's just repeated the law in Deuteronomy 5. He's reminded them of the Ten Commandments in the law. In Deuteronomy 5.22, he said, These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount, out of the midst of the fire of the cloud, and of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered them unto me. And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the mountain did burn with fire that ye came near to me, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And ye said, Behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that our God, that God doth talk with man, and he liveth. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? 
What a stupid statement. I'm sorry. They are living when they say it. You know what they're saying? God is cruel. God is just going to devour us. Have they changed their heart toward God? What have they done since they left Egypt? You've brought us out here to kill us. You've brought us out here to kill us. You've brought us out here to kill us. And then when God speaks to them verbally, like most of us think, if God would speak to me with a voice from heaven, I'd have no trouble trusting him. No, we would do what they did in their flesh. Don't talk to me anymore. I want to hear it. Is that not what they said? Here we are living, but if a man hears you, they die. That's like when they said, we have no food to eat and we hate this bread we've got. What? I mean, your children come and say, we're starving to death, we have no food, and we don't like the peanut butter and jelly you made us. No, no, you don't like what you have, but you have, right? They're deceived. They're saying no one can hear God and live, but they did and they had lived. In verse 24, and he's, ye said, behold, the Lord our God hath showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man, and he liveth now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. Then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fires we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say. Moses, you go die. I thought men would die if they heard. They're they're deceived. And speak thou unto us all that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee. Notice what they say. And we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard the voice of your words when ye spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and their children forever. Go say to them, get you into your tents again. Did God believe those people for one minute? He said, everything they've said is exactly what they ought to say. The problem is it's not in their heart. It's just right there. You know what God has to do to get a man to truly be obedient is change his heart. These people said all the right words. They gave verbal assent. So my wife, and I hope you'll, you'll bear with just a minute of some personal, some a personal aspect. I've I've come into a season of of my personal Christian life and ministry over the last few years where you observe and work with people long enough to where when someone says, oh, yes, I love the Word of God, you want to go, "Mm mm-hmm, sure. Now, God can do that. We can't get that way, right? But, boy, it's easy to get cynical. You know why? Men are liars. Men are liars. Say, well, you're a man. You're right. We love to think the best of ourselves. We love to proclaim the best of ourselves. We know what to say. How many of us understand what they said to God is what they should have said? But God said, but they don't mean it. Oh, that there were such an heart in them. See, the problem with the people is they corrupted in their behavior because they had already corrupted in their response to God's word. What should have been said when God said, if you'll obey, I will bless, they should have said, then Lord, we plead for mercy because we're not known for our obedience. But they went on saying, okay, if that's what gets to do to get the blessing, I have no problem doing that. I can obey. I'm not going to do that. If I have my three-year-old child come and say, Daddy, I love you and I will obey you for the rest of my life. You know what I would say? You have well said. 
Oh, that there was such an heart in you. No three-year-old is born with an obedient heart. They have to be born again to get that. Amen? That's the truth of it. So the problem with the people was they were deceitful in their hearts, deceitful in their judgment. Therefore, they were corrupted in their living. And in Exodus 32, when they build a golden calf, you realize immediately they're breaking commandments one and two blatantly, openly. You know what's scary? They were more afraid of God talking to them than they were of disobeying him. I hope you'll think just for a moment about what I just said. They were more afraid of God speaking to them than they were afraid of disobeying him. There are people more scared to step under the sound of Bible preaching than they are to go out and live in fornication or adultery or drunkenness or pride or covetousness. Oh, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't know like the Bible. There ought to be a fear of God to say, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm living in direct disobedience to everything it says. This is humanity in its nature. This is natural man. Look, here's a people God had been nothing but good to them. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had parted the Red Sea. He had fed them with manna from heaven. There was no doubt he existed. He has been willing to speak to them audibly. And they said, no, 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 no. We don't need you talk to Moses, he'll tell us. And whatever he tells us, we'll do it. We'll do it. And the Moses, the, while God was talking to Moses, telling them what to do, they were breaking his commandments. There was a promise made, a profession made, precepts given. There was a problem. They were corrupt and therefore they were, you help me, condemned. For the wages of sin is death. If obedience gives life, disobedience brings death. How many of us can agree they were directly lying, number one, when they said all that he says we will do, they are directly disobeying, violating not only what God told them, but what they said they would do. Now, if you were God, what would you do? Well, I know what he threatened to do. I'll destroy him and start over. And I believe that was nothing more than a test of Moses to show us a type of Christ. Moses interceded and said, in Exodus 33, you can read it. The Lord says, Lord, pardon them. And if not, the only time in your Bible you'll find a dash and no end, no end of the sentence. And if not, dash, blot me out of your book. You know what Moses is saying? Lord, if you've got to destroy somebody, destroy me to save them. Is that a picture of Christ? Now, what happens is God knowing, in Deuteronomy 5, did God know these people would never make good on their word to obey him. So between Exodus 24, where they said, we will be obedient to everything he says, and Exodus 32, when they corrupted, you know what the entire text is about? Exodus chapter 25 through 31. God making provision for what he knew they would do. It's entirely the specifications for a tabernacle. This should, with God's help, open up a door for some messages in the future weeks. While they are down there sinning, God is making provision for what he knew they were going to do. He knew they had lied to him. He knew they had dissembled in their hearts when they said, we'll obey you. You know what the tabernacle is? From the gate to the mercy seat, it's a picture of Jesus Christ. How many of you notice that inside that tabernacle where God would come and meet with man? You know what the tabernacle was? A place where God and man could meet together. They had said, we can't hear your voice. And God says, no, you're right. Because God knew why. There was sin in them. And so God made a provision, a tabernacle. That tabernacle was not the ultimate provision for sin. It's a picture of the provision. Oh, I love the tabernacle. I'm just going to give you a description here so that we have a picture of salvation. As they are building a golden calf worthy of death. And by the way, it did bring death. But did it annihilate their camp or did God show mercy? 
God showed mercy. God provided them, first of all, a place where man and God could meet and have fellowship. That place was the tabernacle. If you look at the tabernacle, it was designed with a pure white fence all the way around it, with silver poles, all of those things symbolic of the righteousness of God. Man could not just walk into the holiest of holies. What would happen if you did that? You will die. Ask Aaron's two sons. They tried offering fire their way and they died. But God was making a way for man to approach God without death. Why do you have to do that? Because man is utterly sinful. When you looked at that tabernacle, there was a fence. How many of you know that the tabernacle was not beautiful to look at on the outside? It was covered with badger skin. Drab brown furs. But under that, layer after layer, until when you got inside, there was blue and purple and scarlet and gold embroidered. From the outside, there was no form nor comeliness that it should be desired. That sound familiar? Isaiah chapter 53, there was no form nor comeliness. If you came to the gate of the tabernacle, you know the first thing you're going to meet? Blood. Bloody sacrifice when there was only one. By the way, how many gates there were to the tabernacle? You'll, you'll have a hard time believing this. There's only one. One gate, one entrance, one door into that tabernacle court. And the first thing, if you're going to approach God, the first thing you had to meet up with is an altar called the brazen altar. Brass is a picture of the judgment of God. And on that brazen altar would be a bullock or a calf or a goat. There was constantly something, blood on that altar, something being consumed in fire, a picture that man's sin brings death. And if you and I will accept that we are worthy and deserving of what that lamb on that altar is going through, he was, he was killed, his blood was drained, he was consumed in the fire. I have disobeyed God. And I deserve what is there. See, man built a golden calf. God built a brazen altar where calves could be slaughtered to show this is the price for sin. We have, we have a tendency to minimize our sin. God says, I want you to get a clear picture of how offensive and how destructive your sin is. So when you enter in that one door of the tabernacle, you can go no further until you have submitted to the brazen altar and all that it pictures. If God helps, next Sunday we'll preach on the brazen altar or perhaps the door into the altar. But you cannot go any nearer to God until you accept the brazen altar and all that it stands for. The shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Jesus had, you know what that altar stands for. Every lamb, every bullock, every calf, every goat slain on that altar is a picture of Jesus Christ, the innocent for the guilty. His blood shed for my sins. How many of you think when they walked in there and saw a calf laying on that brazen altar, their memory went back to when they worshipped a golden calf? And said, because of our sins, this is what had to be done. While they're sinning, making a golden calf, God is like, here's what God provided for them. You cannot approach me through your obedience because you're proving you are disobedient. You have sinned, and as he says in Isaiah chapter 59, I believe these your sins have separated between you and your God. But he can't hear you. And the fact of the matter is, there was that brazen altar and God laid out in, in those chapters between when they said, we will obey, and their corruption the, all the template for that tabernacle. After you go beyond the brazen altar, there was a, a laver made of gold where you could be washed. The priests as they served and offered the sacrifices would go and it's a picture of the washing of the water of God's word. Making us, the brazen altar deals with salvation. The laver deals with being fit for service. You know what? God saves us through faith in the blood of the, the crucified lamb, but then we need the washing of the water of God's word to fit us to serve him. It's a picture of Christ, is it not? 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As you entered into the first court of the tabernacle, you'd come in on your right would be the table of showbread. Jesus Christ is the bread of life who sustains us for service. Just before you'd be the altar of incense, a picture of our prayers offered up to God. We have the ability to offer up prayers because of the sacrifice of Christ on the altar, because of the washing of the water in the laver of His Word. On your left would be seven golden candlesticks. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You go beyond that, there's a veil so thick you couldn't press through it. Only the high priest was allowed to enter in there once a year. For sins of his own and sins of the people, he put blood on that altar and on that seat that was there. It was not called the judgment seat. It was called the mercy seat, meaning God has provided a way for you to approach him when He you deserve to be destroyed by him. But he's made a way through the offering of blood of an innocent for the guilty. In spite of your disobedience, in spite of your deceit, if you wish to come near, I've made a way for you to be made clean and acceptable to me. And it's through faith and the shed blood, through the washing of my word, through the light of my word, and the bread of life, Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, you know what happened to that veil? It's rent right in twain. So that all of us now can come boldly to the throne of grace. Through who? Jesus Christ. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points... Tempted like as we are yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That tabernacle from the brazen altar to the mercy seat, each thing was a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He is the intercessor between us and God, one mediator between God and men. The high priest himself was a picture of Jesus Christ. God provided them a place where God and men could meet. The very word tabernacle speaks of He came and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I've got a question. Did the tabernacle enable man to elevate to God or to make a way for God to come down and meet with man? God in that drab, plain-looking tabernacle said, through the sacrificial blood, I've made a way for you and I to meet. Man did not ascend. God came down. That's what Jesus Christ did. You see what I'm saying? Even the Old Testament law, as they are building a golden calf, God says, I am preparing a way of making a provision to deal with their sin appropriately. Man says, I will do. God says, no, I have done. And what God has done, you know how we approach God? Not by presenting what we do, but by accepting what He has done. It's a wonderful point. If you, if you could draw a line... Of all the furnishings of the tabernacle, how many pieces do you think there are? Anybody know? Seven. Raisin altar, laver, table of showbread, altar of incense. You have that lamp there in the front. You count your way through, you have seven pieces of furniture, and they draw a perfect picture of a cross. Do you think it's on accident? I think not. Gold woven throughout, gold on wood, Jesus' deity and his humanity all in one. The entire thing is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man says, I will do. God says, you cannot. I will do. I will do. Look with me if you would in Romans chapter 7 as we conclude. Romans chapter 7. As you're finding your way there, I'm going to read another verse, a couple of verses in John chapter 2. We referenced Romans 7 earlier. And we'll end there today with the Lord's help. John chapter 2. Bible says in verse 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem in the Pas- at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. 
But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You know why the Lord Jesus did not commit himself to us? Because he knows us. Do you know why we should commit ourselves to him, meaning entrust our soul to him? (laughs) Because we know him. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Paul is testifying of the inability of human flesh to make himself righteous through keeping the law. Romans 7, 18, 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, he puts very, he clarifies, that is, in my flesh, talking about just my nature, the in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I will keep all your commandments. <laughs> but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, the good that I would, no, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. By the way, let me just pause. Many use this text as an excuse to sin. That's not why it was written. It is showing that man in our natural state, we are incapable of producing right. We're sinful and utterly incapable of doing right without Christ. Verse 20, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? He answers the question, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin, verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you know why the children of Israel failed to do what they promised God they would do? Because they were incapable of keeping their own promise. The law of sin had their hands bound. And the moment they had an opportunity to sin, they did. And the only answer for them is what God provided in that tabernacle. That was a picture and type of the sacrificial, substitutional work of Jesus Christ so that man and God can meet in one place. God came down, tabernacled in the person of Jesus Christ, gave himself as a sacrifice on the altar, consumed for us. He was uh, bruised, for, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We are washed by the water of his word, made fit for service. We give light from his word. We are fed from who he is and from his word. We can intercede and pray to God through his work, and we can directly approach God through the veil of his flesh. Just like the veil of the tabernacle had to be rent, Jesus' body had to be rent so that we can enter into God's presence. And saying to God, what I'm doing is as good as what Jesus has done is an offense. No, no. Only through Jesus Christ can our sin be atoned for. Only through what God has done for us. Finally, I said Romans 7. Go to Rome, Hebrews chapter 9. We will close here. I apologize. I do want to read this. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 19 of Hebrews 9. The Bible says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns 
of the of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You realize all of this is to point us to Jesus Christ and say we cannot redeem ourselves by purposing to do. We can only be redeemed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says Abraham believed God and has counted him for righteousness. And then the comparison is we believe God concerning Christ that the only provision for my sin is what God in Christ has done for me. My sins have been fully punished, and therefore I need not die for my sins. I, I identify with his death on my behalf. He raised from the dead. I have life through him. This morning, my question to you is this. When it comes to serving God, when it comes to approaching God, are you telling God, I can do this, I can do this, I will do? Or are you resting in what he has done? May I say this? Service for the Lord flows from assurance of the promise of, his, of, of God that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ is our tabernacle. He is who God has provided so that God and man can commune with one another. I hope this is helpful this morning. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I see sin I've purposed to do and failed to do, then you need to flee to Jesus Christ. Your doing cannot make you righteous. His righteousness must. You say, it's confusing to me. Let me encourage you. Find time afterward. Find me. Let's take the Bible and open it up and show you from the Scripture so the Word of God can give you light. But God has provided a way of salvation. That provision is not our obedience. We flunked that a long time ago. Our provision for salvation is Christ's obedience. And by His obedience, we then can be obedient through faith in Him. Mm-hmm.